Last week when we took this up, they're moving now towards the end of their first missionary journey. And as we took it up last week, we looked at the, the recurrence of this idea that they were making many disciples. And we took most of last week to focus in on what a disciple truly looks like. What the method is and what the pattern. And we saw that someone who is a disciple is a learner. And there's someone who clings to the word. There's someone who, who follows after. Not someone who just says, I love. But someone who lives it out. Now I want us to see this week as we move on from that idea of disciples. It said this and we considered this briefly in verse 22 and 23. I'll reread this. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, we considered also briefly that idea of through many tribulations. What I want to focus in on today, and, what, and in order to really establish this, we are going to saturate this sermon with Scripture. Because I want us to really get a sense that this is what God's Word teaches clearly. So that you walk away not feeling like I'm some, here to simply share my opinions. But really the overwhelming, powerful, and clear testimony of God's Word. What I want us to see, I've titled this sermon, Firm in the Faith. They went, the, the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them, it says, to continue in the faith. Now, I'm going to take just a moment, to, or more than just a moment. This time is going to be to unpack that idea of the faith. When we handle the scriptures, there, there is believing, our believing, and we are called to believe. But when the scriptures, and they frequently do, use the term the faith, it is the content of what we believe. Not just that we believe. There are a multitude of religions and ideas in the world and what distinguished them from one another is what they believe what is going to distinguish us as disciples of Jesus Christ the very son of God revealed in the Bible is what we believe the content of our faith We've already seen strongly last week that when you consider the faith, it has these two strong, indivisible aspects to it. It speaks to our conduct. We live according to, walk according to the faith. And we believe and teach according to the faith. And so I want us to begin to get a sense of this. And it's important to note this. They go through strengthening the churches and encouraging them. It's important to note that, that when you are saved on day one, by the grace of God, you have heard and come to know the basic foundational truths of the gospel. But that's not the end of it. There is still much to learn as we considered last week from the Great Commission. Jesus says make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And so that's why they went through encouraging them, strengthening them. There is a growth in how much we know. We're firm in what we know, but then there's more to know. And we make progress and growth in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want us to miss this. First, note this regular passion of strengthening souls. Not only does it say it here in, in our opening verse, strengthening the souls of the disciples in Acts uh, uh, 14.22. In 1541, it says Paul and Silas went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Uh, to, to me, that there's something very important to note about that. One of the reasons they are being strengthened is because they need strength. 
You know, they're not simply left on their own. Well, we delivered it to them. No, they need to not only have the basics of the gospel delivered, but then the ongoing increase of truth. In Acts 16, verse 4 and 5, it says, uh, They went on their ways through the cities, delivered to them the observance of the decision that had been reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. 16, Acts 16, 5. So that the churches were strengthened in the faith. How were they strengthened? Now they came to understand that circumcision and the law of Moses was not going to be imposed on the New Testament church. They will be under the law of Christ. They will walk in obedience to the commandments of Christ. But done are those practices of sacrifice. Done are those uh, uh, forms of worship in the temple. Done, in a sense, even for the Gentiles, are the particular feasts and seasons and observances and special days and all of those unique things. They are strengthened by what? Knowing what? We are to believe and what we are to do and what we no longer have to do. As they grew in understanding of how the word of God applies to them in Christ Jesus, they are strengthened. Acts 18 verse 23. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. I mean, you see, this is going on over and over again. Strengthening the disciples. Strengthening the disciples. When I see it repeated as a pattern and practice, you know what that, that clues to me? The disciples, the churches, need strengthening. And, and if they're not strengthened, then what will happen? They may fall. And we do not want that to happen. We remember also, it says, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Now, I want us to begin to get a sense of this. In Jude chapter 1, verse 3, I'm going to say a lot of verses. Note them down if you wish. Otherwise, this is being recorded, so you can't look them up later, because we're going to cover a lot. Jude chapter 1, verse 3, or simply Jude verse 3, since it is only one chapter, says this. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, wanted to speak about those basic things that we, we enjoy, that we share, that we delight in, but I had to do something more than that. It says, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith. They were going to have to fight, struggle, in order to what? Maintain and hold fast to the faith. And I don't miss this. It says here in verse 3. The, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So listen closely. It is what? Delivered. Done. So when somebody roams around and rises up and says, let me tell you something new. Yeah, you, you, you want to say no, because if it's, you know, maybe rhymes help us remember at times. If it's new, it ain't true. Okay, because it was once for all delivered to the saints. The truth of the gospel and the truth of all the doctrines that we are to believe. They were through Christ given to and through the apostles for the church for all time. There's nothing more to be added regarding doctrinal truth and promises. God's word says in Hebrews chapter 1, and we should not miss this. Verse 1 and 2, it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. God would send an authoritative word to the children of Israel. 
telling them they must do this, they must do that, they must go here, they must go there. Long ago, God delivered his authoritative word of what he would have them do, believe, and practice through the prophets. Through many centuries. That's what the scripture says here in Hebrews 1. Long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Then there's a contrast in verse 2. But in these last days... The last days are the days that we now live in. Since the death and resurrection of Christ until he comes again, these are the last days. And it says, but in these last days, he has spoken. That phrase, has spoken, is a completed action. Now, I want to be cautious here. Don't misunderstand me. Be patient for just a moment. It doesn't say he is speaking. It says has spoken. Okay. So all that's because all of the faith has been delivered. He has spoken. Now I want you to get this. His word is a living word. So there is still a sense, and Hebrews itself reminds us, it says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So he has spoken, and what he has spoken, he is still speaking through the word to the church. Okay? So, I'm not saying that uh, there's no... Speaking today, there is a spiritual sense in which Christ still speaks today through the living word of God. But it's not changing. It doesn't change as the seasons change. It doesn't change as the cultures change. Styles of music significantly change as the years go by. Isn't it right? And what tends to happen is at a certain point as you age, you listen to what others who are younger are now listening to. And you're convinced this is not music. <laughs> you know, and, and they, 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 the younger generation are convinced this is music. And then someday they will be us. And they'll hear what their kids are listening to and think, well, that's not music. This is, and everybody has their own idea. Here's the reality. People assess what is music based on their subjective preferences. Based on what they liked and what they heard when they were young. The faith, the truth, is not based on our subjective preferences. Be careful. Well, I like that doctrine. Well... Doesn't matter if you like it, if it ain't true. And the same danger we're in that we can have grown up hearing it said a certain way. And we think, that's how I've always heard it. That's what I believe. Well, be careful with that. Because we do live almost 2,000 years after the church began to be planted. So we've got to be sure that what we grew up on is the same thing that the early church received by the authority and person of Christ through his appointed apostles. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And, I, and there's two things I want to, us to get. Once for all delivered to the saints. Has spoken through his son. It is delivered. It is done. It is firm. It is fixed. It is unchanging. And wonderfully, it is understandable. It says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Wait a second. I thought he gave us the forgiveness of sin. Yes. I thought he gave us eternal life. Yes. But guess what else he gave us? I mean, the, why are you limiting the wonderful list of what is granted and given us in Christ Jesus? He also came and has given us 
understanding so that we may know him who is true. Our relationship with God, our knowledge of God, our worship of Him, our intimacy to Him is rooted in our knowledge and understanding of Him. Do you get that? And so God has so designed it that He will work His powerful grace within our soul, saving us, strengthening us, and equipping us to serve through our minds and understandings. Remember that because it is the work of the Spirit because of Christ's accomplishment that gives us understanding. It is by the grace of God through the Spirit we came to understand the gospel. We remember 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God came to us and by grace granted us to understand the gospel that was preached and imparted into our heart that great implanted faith that we believe. Now listen, but he saved us through an understanding and belief in the gospel, right? And it is still by, by the work of the Spirit. People like to somehow divide, well, the Spirit is something spiritual and, and the mind is something intellectual. And they, they want to divide those things. And that's not how it works. The Spirit so graciously grants us that we would understand spiritual things and works through our understanding to bring edification. Read on your own 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where there was an absolute multitudinous mess in Corinth as they're confusing and misunderstanding the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy all round and round. And, and then when you, when you look at it, he reminds them over and over, how will anyone be edified if they do not understand what is spoken? How will the church be built up? How will your brother be built up? How will anyone understand? There's many sounds in the world, but if, it, if the trumpet blows and the tune is not understandable, who will understand to get ready? And so God has so designed it that by His Son, He gives us understanding. I love the simple ways that it's said in these two Old Testament passages. Listen as I read these just by way of uh, setting out. It sets out uh, an idea... I've always found this interesting. One of the things that we learn through scripture is uh, God is pleased to make wise the simple. Because it is his good pleasure to give us understanding of his word. He hasn't given us his word so that we just scratch our heads and say, what? He's given us his word so that we fall to his, our knees and say, yes, yes. And, and so the, the theological word for it is the perspicuity of Scripture. And it's always fun to think the word, the perspicuity of Scripture speaks of that the Scripture is easy to understand. So we've used a word that's really hard to understand to define the fact that the Scriptures are easy to understand. God help theologians, right? Um, but listen what it says. I love the way God says to Habakkuk. It says this to him. And the Lord answered me and said, Habakkuk 2, 2, write the vision, make it plain on the tablet so that those who hear it may run. <laughs> Here's the simple point even delivered to Habakkuk. The whole point of me telling you this is so that you can make it plain and they can do what they're supposed to do. So make it plain, write it down, so that he who hears it, he who reads it, can run. He says it this way in Isaiah 30, verse 8. Now, go, write it before them on a tablet, and inscribe it on a book, so that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. See, the... the you, you see those two things together. He's given it so that we might understand it and know what he would have us do. And he's had it written down so that somebody can't come in and change it. And if they do, so we, we say, hold on. 
what about this? And if they say, don't worry about that. Focus on this. Don't think about that. Focus on... No, 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 no. We want to take in the whole of the scriptures. If they can't say, it's good that you asked that question. This is how it applied under the old covenant. And this is how we see it fulfilled in Christ. If they, if, if they simply say, forget about it. You say, forget about you. Now listen, as, as we... we uh, don't miss this. John 8, 31 and 32 says this. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him in some sort. He says this to them in John 8, 31. If you abide or if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is the intended plan and purpose and design of God that we would know the truth, that we would walk in the truth. I encourage you once again, as you get out of here later and you go want to go and do a little reading, read 2 John and 3 John, the introductory sections to that, and see how many times it mentions the truth, whom I love in the truth. How joyful I am that our children are walking in the truth, the truth, the truth. Such powerful, powerful instructions. It is a faith that is given through Christ, through the apostles, with the help, help of the Spirit. It is explained and it is understood. It is written down so that it is fixed and firm and that we remain fixed and firm. Listen to what the scripture says. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and says this. So then, brothers, stand firm. Now, what is that? What, what image does that get to you? They're not roaming around. They're not drifting this way and that. They are standing firm. And, and when somebody tries to, to get them to move... They don't. They have a good center of balance. Knees shoulder width apart. Knees slightly bent. No. But the, the sense is they're, they're not going to move. And, and he, listen. Stand firm and hold to. Now it says here the traditions. Kind of like that because remember with Jesus. We looked at it briefly last week. He was saying that disciples are not going to be bound by the traditions of man and the traditions of the elders. And he was telling them, by your traditions, you make void the commandments of God. Right? By, by you holding on to things that have been passed down from your forefathers, that ain't no good. But listen, there is something that we should be passing down from generation to generation. There is an established truth that presents a new tradition. And that is what has been given through Christ and the apostles. And so when Paul would say that, the, the idea to the Jews would be to obliterate their traditions. The idea to the Gentiles and their paganism would be to obliterate their traditions. It wasn't to, as sometimes missionaries do today, go into a region and, and look at their culture and, and, and look at their religions and try to make a Chinese form of Christianity, an Indian form of Christianity. What do you, what do you mean? You know... Christianity does not differ by culture. The doctrines are the same. Now, our languages will still be different. Our food will be different. Our clothing styles will be different. It may be that our songs are also slightly different. But the doctrine that we believe and, and the conduct that we carry out will be the same in Christ Jesus. It isn't, well, let's, let's, let's figure out what religious men dress like over there. And let's dress our pastors and missionaries like that. And let's, no, the design is not to somehow adapt to and accommodate men's sinful nonsense. 
But Paul says this, stand firm to what? Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. That is taught by the apostles. Because they received not their teaching from men, but they received it taught by God, taught by Christ. Now, we aren't them. We're like the Thessalonians. They received directly from God. We then receive from those faithful appointed men who teach that. It says that we're taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. Because that was going to be the plan of God like we read in Isaiah. That it would be written down. And you know why it would be written down? So that it would be a witness forever. And someone cannot come in and change it. At all. First Corinthians 11.2 Paul writes to the church at Corinth that again is getting all messed up, influenced by the syncretistic pagan practices of their culture in some ways, influenced by some Judaizers in other ways. What do you do? 1 Corinthians 11, 2 says, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. What he's saying is this. You don't just look back and say, this is what our forefathers did. You say, what did Christ teach us through the apostles? For us, it's simpler than that. We, we say similar. What has God taught us in his word? He's given it to us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, he says these wonderful words. If you... If indeed you continue in the faith, continue growing in it, continue stable in it, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Listen, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So listen, the gospel is the same in Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. The doctrine of God. The doctrine of Christ. The doctrines of salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit. The church. They are the same. Everywhere and anywhere. Because they come down from God above. In whom there is no shadow, no shiver, no wavering, no twisting. And he goes on to say this in Colossians 2, verse 5 and following. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. That's a cause of rejoicing for the apostle, to see the firmness of their faith. Listen, therefore, verse 6, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so Walk in him. So the, the truth that we get. It doesn't later get changed. That truth is sure and established. And we learn more and more. But the more we learn doesn't change what we've already got. It's firm. Continue in it. As it says in verse 7. Rooted and built up in him. So you've got this rooted, firm foundation. And then what you still have going on is what? Built up. And so we are rooted and grounded in Christ in the gospel of the word. And then we're being built up in the most holy faith. As we grow in an understanding of these things. It says this further. Rooted and established in the faith. Verse 7. Just as you were taught that's something i think we ought not miss just as christ taught the apostles and as the apostles taught the churches that's what we have to be rooted and grounded in 
Not necessarily what you were taught in your previous church or what I was taught in my previous church. He's writing to them just as you were taught by the apostles. And so we also, as we are taught from the word of God given to us by the apostles. But also rooted in there is something I don't want you to miss out. It is important. Some, somehow implied within this, just as you were taught, indicates that there is a teacher. He's not expecting them to be somehow self-taught. He's not expecting them to say, you don't even need to be taught because once you're saved, you're going to just know everything mystically and miraculously. No, that's not how it works. And we're going to see this. Um, he, he's going to open this up. I guess I don't want to miss the warning that's in here. Look what it says. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive. I'm in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. And then he warns them in verse 8 about a few things. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. They come along and say, well, I don't think God would do it that way because it doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't seem reasonable to me. Well, I would say this. That may mean that it is right. Because God's ways are not our thoughts. And God's, uh, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Declared the Lord. So if he did it different than you think is reasonable. That's probably the right way. Uh, but what it's arguing against is. Intellectualism. Where you will use your mind. And your supposed human knowledge and experience. To cancel out. What has been taught? Well, I disagree with that because, as Plato says, well, who, it doesn't matter who you might quote. If they are different, then God has been pleased to teach us in his word, they're wrong. If what seems more reasonable, even, uh, uh, let, me, let me just finish reading this section. Okay, don't let him take you captive by philosophy. Or empty deceit according to human tradition or according to the elemental spirits of this world. So when you fill up all those things, it's basically warning you against this. It's warning you against human intellectualism. It's warning you against human emotionalism. It's warning you against mysticism and spiritualism. It's warning you against traditionalism. It's kind of warning you against a lot of things. And it ends by saying this. And not according to Christ. Here's who you listen to. Jesus. God has once for all spoken through his son. And his son has made that his message would be conveyed and communicated and written down from the apostles to you and me. So that we know it. So that. The test of everything that claims to be true isn't how it makes me feel. Isn't how intellectually or emotionally satisfying or, or, or mystically evocative or whatever, ecstatic, ecstasy, none of that. It is what is God's word declared to be true. Now listen, some might think, well, so you're taking away all that ecstasy stuff. And you're just leaving us with knowledge uh, where you're going to see and hear that that's root, that's that's together with that. Again, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving and you're going to see that that rooted in with this is a progress in knowledge and joy. So, yes, it it it. it separates us from sentimentalism rooted in our own hearts and desires and gives us a real joy and a welling up within our hearts that is rooted in the teaching of God. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 1. Just so that you catch this as I, as I just tried to give and introduce. You're firm in what you know. You're progressing in what you know. 
you're rejoicing in what you know. So listen, the more you know, the more you rejoice. The more you know, the more you love. The more you know, the more you give thanks. The more you know, the more stable you are. Listen to what it says in Philippians 1, 25 and following. Convinced of this, that he himself would not die and go to be with the Lord, which was far better. Convinced of this, that I will live and keep serving. I know that I will remain and continue with you all. End of verse 25, for your progress. It is the, should be the desire of your heart and the desire of those who are your teachers and preachers that they might see your progress. It should be part of why they do what they do that you might make progress in your faith. And listen to what it says. For your progress, that's your advancement, your increase of knowledge. And what? For your progress and joy. That joy there, it, it carries this sense. Uh, rejoicing, delight, gladness. For the progress, for your progress and your delight in what? End of verse 25. In the faith. So what happens? Progress in the faith. Rejoicing and delight in the faith. Sometimes I wonder, as I, you know, if you read Psalms and read Psalm 119 in particular, which we read a selection of this morning. How often does David say things like, your word I sought. It's more precious to me than gold, yea, than fine gold, sweeter than honey, than the honey from the honeycomb, which he, he's basically taking those temporary delights and desires that people enjoy and saying, I'd rather have the word. The things that people treasure and give their time and energy to accumulate, he's saying what? It's better. The word is better to where you could say, look, there can be somebody maybe who's roaming around as a multi-billionaire, but be treasureless because his treasure is on earth. Thieves steal it. A little bit goes to the government. All kinds of, uh, uh, and when you die. You can't take it with you. You know, e even if somebody says they're going to be buried in their Bentley. It's just going to be buried. It's not going with them anywhere. But listen. So that he says, so that you have ample cause to, in, in, to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Verse 27 of Philippians 1. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I can hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. I always want to remind you of that. The standing firm in one spirit isn't believers saying, well, let's agree to disagree. No, it's let's agree. Let's continue to search the scriptures until we understand what it says. And in one spirit, with one mind, with one judgment... We walk together, striving side by side for the faith. Not agree to disagree. Let's agree to keep studying and praying and speaking the truth in love until we all have a unity of the faith. No more of this agree to disagree nonsense. Goes on. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The pattern to maintain. Part of maintaining this firmness. To get this uh, done. And strengthening the churches. Is really even spoken of in Acts 14.23. Where he says this. And when they had appointed elders. For them. In every church. With prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord. In whom they had believed. So here's what they did. They went back through these towns. They found those men who were stable in the faith, 
trained in the doctrine that they worked with, equipped, and appointed, and then moved on. I also want you to note this. Who was doing that? The apostles were appointing. It wasn't, uh, who do you nominate? Because if you ask people who they nominate, who do they nominate? Their friend, their cousin, their brother, their daddy, or, or, or this rich man, or, or this man who has influence in the community. No, no, no. None of that would be there with the appointment of leaders in the church, which makes it a, a confusing mess to a degree today, where, where um, it, it was trained men who were then appointing others. Paul would again send out Titus, who would go, trained by him, find men and train them that meet the qualifications and appoint them to the churches. But now who is establishing it? You just think about it for a moment, the way, the way that commonly can take place in the world today. And I feel sad for this circumstance often. Uh, a, a church will find itself, uh, maybe their pastor, elder has retired or resigned or been removed for whatever reason, maybe rightly so as well. And they think in their mind, okay, we need now to replace him. Oh, how glorious it would be if, you, if they had elders in the churches where uh, he's gone, but we still have this elder here. We're good. We can carry on and God will continue to raise up maybe other men to bolster that. We're not somehow in disarray. But what happens is uh, the church will say, oh, no, we've got to find a man to be our pastor, our, our elder. Let us form a search committee, a pastoral search committee. You ever heard that happening? Yes. When I was a young boy, and this is even a sad thing for me to say. I was asked in my church to represent the young people on our pastoral search committee. So here is, 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 is very young, significantly less mature, significantly less understanding of the breadth of array of sound doctrine. And I'm being asked to weigh in on the fitness of this man to lead the church. And actually, everybody else on that committee had never been trained to the degree that they were fit, sound in doctrine, to be church elders. I mean, that's like, uh, um, instead of leaving it to principals and superintendents to hire teachers, you just ask the students. Bring in a list of, uh, bring in a, a flow of teachers. On what basis are they going to choose? Well, that teacher seems funny. That teacher's nice to look at. That teacher is uh, cool. Yeah. Seems like we can get away or naive. You know, seems or the, the standard is pro. Now, I, I would hope there would be a few students in there. Who would want to find out the qualifications and, and, and standards that they will bring. What is your experience? But that's generally not going to be there. They, uh, these men, they were appointing elders. Why? Because they had been taught it. And it was their design to teach other faithful men. Who will then teach other faithful men. So that the church will continue to walk in the truth. Listen to what it says. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Oh. It says, verse 2. Paul says to Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. I like that because here's, here's the fact with Paul. Whether it's just you and me, whether it's a small group, whether there's many people around, my teaching's the same. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't say one thing to this group and one thing to that. I'm, I'm not a chameleon communicator. I say what is true. You've heard it. They've heard it. Everyone has heard it. There's no mincing words. And what I've taught you, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust 
to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It is very important that the taught teach the untaught. Remember, it's, this is what happened in uh, Acts chapter 8 as Philip comes up and, and the, the, he's, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading out of the scriptures and, he, and he, Philip ran up to him and asked those words, do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? Now, I have this fear today that we live in a world where people's modern tendency is this. I don't need anyone to guide me. I don't need anyone to explain. Let me tell you what it means to me. Mm -hmm. I always want to never hesitate to say this. Whatever it means, it means. It means to everybody. Now, it may apply slightly different at different walks of life. You know, the instruction to children to obey their parents applies a little different to me at this stage in my life than it did when I was a child. But the meaning of that verse is the same. It means the same thing to a child, a toddler, a teenager, an adult, a parent. What it often means to the parent is, I need to continue to instruct my child that they are called by God to obey me. But it means what it means all the time. How can I unless someone guides me? And if he goes up and sits with him. It says this of those who are to be leaders. As Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. The old King James says, study to show thyself approved unto God. The ESV says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Correctly explaining the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Listen, it's quite clear from Paul's instruction that, listen, there is a right and there is a wrong. And it is those who are, who are marked out to be workers, they have a responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth. That's why Paul passed it to Timothy. And Timothy was to take that to own it. And he was to take that and pass it on to others. And they were to take that and own it and pass it on to others. But somewhere along the way, things get messed up. Have you seen it happen? Yeah. And suddenly those who are in teaching and preaching positions, um, they got to dress different than everybody else. You know, maybe they wear a, a peculiar collared shirt of some kind. Or maybe they wear, you know, a, a choir gown. Uh, or, or whatever it may be, you know, uh, that somehow distinguishes. Do we see any of that, any of that anywhere in, in the scriptures? I mean, do we imagine that Jesus, as he traveled, or the apostles, is like, I really want to preach to you right now, but I got to change into my robe. That none of that makes any sense. And so we've got to just overcome these traditions and receive what is taught. Because listen to what the church is supposed to be. I'm actually going to end up continuing uh, uh, some of the elements of this message in, in January. But that's okay. Because as we're going to spend the next couple of weeks again focusing and preparing ourselves. Uh, remembering that great historic reality of God sending his son to be the savior of the world. But it says this. And I'll end with this today. 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul writes again to Timothy who's at the church of Ephesus. If I delay. You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. As the, as the household of God, as the church of God, it is incumbent upon us to what? Hold that very truth Hold that very faith. 
to stand firm and to stand fast and to stand faithful in the truth that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the things that we were able to consider this morning, I will remind you of a few of them before we take it up again in January. The faith is once for all delivered. It's content. What is to be believed? It is finished. It is fixed. It is understandable. It is unchanging. The faith, it is given through Christ, through the apostles, and with the help of the Spirit, explained and established. Since it is fixed, we are to remain firm in it. Remember, it's not just a blind call to remain firm, stubborn, mule-headed. No, no, no. We are to remain firm in the faith. There, there is a kind of stubbornness that is okay when it is a stubbornness in sound doctrine. Not just my way, but his way in everything. Firm in what you know. Progressing in what you know. Rejoicing in what you know. The pattern to maintain that firmness was that the trained by Christ trained others by the apostles. Who trained others. And they wrote down what they trained that we might also know it. The taught, taught, the untaught. And Timothy learned from his training, was to be faithful in his training, and walk in that. Not caught up in intellectualism, emotionalism, mysticism, but grounded in a knowledge of the truth that fills us with joy, that strengthens us in the inner man, and gives us a firm and unshakable hope in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, as we close out this time... We are so thankful. My mind goes to, with thankfulness to that, those words, how firm a foundation you have laid for us, O Lord. Fixed in your unchangeable word. Lord, we thank you that even as you were pleased through Habakkuk and through Isaiah to have it written down. You are also pleased through your apostles to have Christ's teaching written down so that we're not swept away by every wind of doctrine we hopefully would not be easily deceived God I pray that you would raise up men who will be teachers and leaders in the church who are trained and taught in the sound words of scripture Lord I pray that they would be able to equip the saints so that they are not easily deceived and to help them on those steps and paths of discernment Lord, so that we would stand firm in the faith. Because we do know that not only will there be uh, the struggles of the flesh that would seek to stir doubt on occasion. But there are the attacks uh, of the world and, and their reasoning and their religions. As well as the onslaught of the enemy. God, may we, in accord with your word, resist him firm in the faith. Grant us this with great joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.